0: I'm Donna. And I'm
1: Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Sinister Sightings 185. And y'all heard it. We
0: don't have an intro. We don't have an intro.
1: I was thinking one, two, no one's introing for you.
0: Oh, that's sad. But then I was like, oh wait, Halloween's over. So, Well, we're recording this on Halloween night though.
1: True. And we are some spooky bitches. So, mm-hmm. still on par. Yes. Well, if you want to do an intro just like cricket cricket head on over to patreon.com slash the apc podcast okay we're jumping right in hi i've really just started listening to your show and greatly enjoy it i've never written into anywhere before but i was just listening to a listener's story about ambient experiences in particular the one about little people in the sink i just had to write in because i too have had experiences on ambient including the little people so to preface the whole story and it's important to what happens, I need to tell another short story. My son, who was maybe seven or eight at the time of the first part of the story, well, he was a complete, air quotes, carny. If we went to the fair, carnival, or amusement park, if he played the games, he always seemed to win. Not the tiny pencils and mustache combs, but the big prizes, human-sized stuffed animals and the like. On one such trip, he won a stuffed Dalmatian that was about three feet tall. The dog plays a critical role here. So my son gave me the dog as a gift to keep me company on the days he didn't stay with me. Adorable. And of course, I kept the dog in my room. Fast forward a couple of years and I'm in bed with my girlfriend and I had taken Ambien for the first time. My room is in a loft style apartment where the wall is open to the living room below and across from the giant picture window looking out from the 10th floor. Well, middle of the night and I just get up and sit up straight in bed and look straight at the dog and tell him in a angry tone, that I know what you're doing and you better stop. This wakes my girlfriend up who asks confused what the fuck I'm talking about since she thinks I'm talking to her. I tell her to just go back to bed and I'll deal with the fucking dog. <laughs> now she's worried and needs to know what the dog is doing. I was really annoyed but explained that the dog was helping the little people that live in the TV repel down the loft and escape out the window. Well. Wow. I had spent far too much time and effort keeping them there to let the fucking dog help them escape. After this explanation, I got extremely angry because that smug ass dog was just staring at me while committing his dastardly act. (laughs) I don't remember much after that, but she got me calmed down enough to pass out again. The second time I had an Ambien related issue with the dog was several years later. I had taken Ambien for the first time in a while and of course had an issue. This time I called my best friend. I thought it was once, but she later said it was at least seven or eight times. Enough so that she stopped making love to her boyfriend because she was worried I was in trouble. So she answers the phone and barely gets out hello before I'm yelling to her. It's the dog. I need help. I don't have an actual dog, so she's confused. I said, the dog, the fucking Dalmatian. At this point, she says, hold on. I'm putting you on speaker. I go on with the story that the fucking dog is trying to steal drugs and sell them and keep all the money and he won't listen to me and I tell him to knock that shit off. Of course, I have no idea what drugs or sales, but I was livid. She's now laughing and tells me I was just fucking my boyfriend. Can this wait? Apparently, I told her, that's not important right now. You need to help me with this smug ass dog. This is again where my memory of the situation ends. I haven't had any interesting ambient experiences since, but never know what tomorrow may hold. Anyways, love the show and creep it real, Heather.
0: Oh my gosh. I want to see this dog since it has such a smug ass face. (laughs) Right. What a little bastard or a bitch. I don't know. Is it a girl (laughs) dog? Oh my God. And I love that. It's like, you were so mad that he was helping them escape. You said that you have worked so hard to keep them in that TV. Yes. (laughs) Like
1: you legit in your brain did all this work. (laughs) And that
0: bastard (laughs) letting them out. Oh, gosh. And, of course, I would be your friend. Like, oh, hold on. Let me put you on speaker. (laughs) That's too funny. Thank you so much for those.
1: Also, if you call me and I happen to answer because I really hate answering the phone, you should know that my lazy ass is answering it on speaker because I don't (laughs) like to hold phones. I don't like to talk on phones, much less hold it while I'm talking to you. But I usually will answer and say, hey, you're on speaker. Yeah. The
0: next one is ghost cat. I was listening to one of your bonus episodes of Friday the 13th. Donna was talking about her cat that passed away, and during the night, she felt the cat jump up on the bed. I had a cat named Jack that I loved. He passed away from kidney failure. That night, I felt him jump up on the bed and snuggle me, just like he had always done before he had passed away. To me, it was more comforting than scary. Just wanted to give you my story. Thanks. Love your podcast. That damn
1: cat of Donna's, though... He would because back in the day, when she lived in like the the house that she basically grew up in before they moved in high school, um, she had two day beds in her room, and so I would sleep on one and she would sleep on one. But the one I slept in was the cat's bed, like you know that when nobody was over, you know the other five days of the week, uh, because yes, I stay there all weekend every weekend, you know. So really, I was getting in that cat's bed, but. Really, uh, he was in my way.
0: And he was a hefty, hefty cat.
1: Yes. And so when he would get up on the bed in the middle of the night, I literally would be freezing because they kept their house so cold and could not pull the covers up because he was so heavy. And you know (laughs) you're weaker in the middle of the night. Like, you just can't pull those covers up (laughs) like you normally could. And that mother humper, I would be like, Ambrosias, get off. God. I mean, R.I.P. Kitty Kitty. I know. Okay, this one. More college stories. Hey ladies, Rebecca H. here for another college experience. So besides the haunted dorm trilogy I sent in, I have a few other stories to share as well. This story I'm about to tell you isn't really my story. This story was told to me by an ex-Marine that I was friends with in a few classes. At lunch one day, my friend and I got on the subject of ghosts. This was prior to the dorm situation. We were all sharing stories when my friend Shannon decided to share a miraculous story that I feel needs to be told, if nothing else to appreciate how spirits truly watch out for us from the other side. Picture it. I believe early 2000s. My friend was stationed overseas and was leader of his platoon. They were out in a scouting party looking for an enemy soldier in one of the small towns. This town, as far as they knew, did not have any other soldiers present from their regiment. As Shannon was leading the patrol, he glanced at the end of one of the streets and saw a soldier in their uniform. He called after the soldier and quickly ran to a nearby building. The platoon soon chased after. Immediately after, the entire street exploded. Yes, I mean a bomb where they were just walking went off. They were completely in shock. However, they all survived. What makes a paranormal side is the soldier had disappeared. This and the fact that he said he was sure he knew who it was, a friend who had been killed the day before. Yep, I have chills as I type this. We have since lost touch, but I still think about this often. How even from the other side our loved ones look out for us. Story two. Here's more of a true crime story that I never expected to have to deal with. My best friend, our junior year, began dating a boy from her childhood. He was a recovering meth addict who was currently homeless. As hard as I tried to persuade her not to date the man, she was head over heels. The memories of childhood are a tough thing to beat, I guess. He ended up living in a meth house with some friends. This is where things start taking a turn. He began using again, and the roommates began fighting often. Her boyfriend stating that they were abusing their children. Yes, children that were living there. One day, I received a phone call from my friend that she needed me immediately. Apparently, her boyfriend had gotten high and murdered everyone in the house besides the children, including one of the women who were pregnant. He said it was the only way to get them away from the kids. My heart fell out of my chest. My friend was inconsolable. Her now ex-boyfriend pled guilty and received four counts of murder. We didn't talk much about it after that and haven't in years. He's currently in prison serving a life sentence. My friend has since graduated and became engaged to an Air Force lawyer. Quite the turnaround in men, I must say. Anyway, thank you ladies for all the laughs and feeling like I'm always talking to my best friends. I'll have to send in more ghost stories soon, not from college. Your creepster, Rebecca H.
0: Holy shit.
1: Jeez. That is freaking heavy. That is terrifying. That first one, too, is like something you see in the movies, you know? Yes. Especially with it, like, being soldiers and stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. Couldn't you just call, like, CPS or something for the kids? Like,
0: don't feel like you have to kill anybody. Right. I mean, the upside is that he didn't kill the kids.
1: Yeah. Well, because they were, that's who he was saving. Mm -hmm. Which, I mean, I guess some people do, though, as a, it was the only way to save you was Mm -hmm. to kill you.
0: Okay, the next one. Well, hey there, you spooky storytelling dolls. My name is Nikki G, and I live in a rural farm town in Tennessee. I'm a medical esthetician and own an aesthetic practice. I think I fucked that up. Say that three times fast. Well, I couldn't say it one time slow, so there's that. (laughs) I was just about to say. (laughs) And then she says, Carrie, I can't wait for you to mispronounce that. I always giggle when you get tongue-tied.
1: And yet, here Donna is.
0: Really bad, trying to say it.
1: (laughs) You say it, Carrie. An esthetician with an aesthetic
0: practice. Well, (laughs) D. <laughs> we can't all be perfect <laughs> I've been listening to your podcast for a few months now the new girl that I hired knew that I loved podcast and also true crime but even more than that anything spooky so she told me about y'all's podcast and of course I've been obsessing over it ever since well she a like winner and she should get a promotion <laughs> at least a dollar raise I have an almost 30-minute commute into my practice and back to our little farm each day. So during my travel, I love to listen to y'all's podcast. The two of you have a connection that is palatable. And both of your giggles and laughter are so contagious. It reminds me so much of me and my BFF. Shout out to my BFF, Tracy, a.k.a. Tumbleweed. Does she listen to the podcast? Because she's not a true BFF. She <laughs> but enough chit-chat. Here's the story. When I was 16 years old, I had my own car that I purchased myself, but only had a little money, which really only bought a not-so-awesome ride. It was down for repairs one day, so my mom let me drive her Jeep Grand Cherokee. Oh, bougie. (laughs) My parents' place was far away from town, so it took me almost 30 minutes to get anything. On this particular day, I was rushing in order to be at work on time, and even though it wasn't raining while I was driving, it had previously been raining that morning and the roads were still a bit wet. I was young and dumb and super impatient and decided to pass the person in front of me even though it was a double yellow line. I know, like for real, a death sentence, but what can I say? I was 16 and I thought I was invincible. The next thing I know, the vehicle loses control, veers off the opposite side of the road. Then what I was driving on tips over on the side and rolls down an embankment all the way to the edge of a super huge pond. When I came to, I realized that there was broken glass much of everywhere, but an opportunity to exit the vehicle if I squeeze between the driver's side window that was laying almost flat to the ground. That's one of my biggest fears. Yeah,
1: because I can't be fitting no. through that window. And ain't no way no know how I'd fit through that fucking
0: window. Mm-mm. I scraped my back pretty good coming out, but I made it out and I was pretty far down at the bottom of the embankment. Too far down to climb up for sure. So I climbed on the top of the vehicle trying to wave my hands around and call out for help. I was too far down for anyone to see me. It was just about that time an elderly man started slowly making his way down the steep embankment. He had older clothes on and a fedora-style hat, which was very outside of the times, but in the moment, I didn't think a lot about it. I was just glad to see another person that seemed older than me and so potentially could be of help. Once he made it to the bottom where I was, he picked me up like he would pick up a baby, like your left arm under the knees and your right arm underneath my neck. He proceeded to carry me all the way up the embankment. At the time, I didn't really think about how hard that must have been, but looking back on it, I don't even know that I could physically get myself up that hill without being winded, much less carrying a teenage girl in my arms. Anyway, once we get to the top of the embankment and back onto the road, he walks down the road a little bit. He lays me down in the middle of the road, right on the double yellow lines, and says, it's going to be fine. You're going to be well taken care of, and he just slowly walks away. I never see him walk to a vehicle and I never see another vehicle pass by until a lady drives up and comes out of her car and rushes over to me. She says, I'm a nurse. Don't you worry. You're going to be fine. She places the call to 911 and an ambulance comes to pick me up and take me to the hospital. I worked through some glass in my skin and some significant scrapes and cuts, but aside from that, I was okay. We later were able to talk with the EMT and the nurse, and no one saw the man that picked me up and carried me at the embankment. No one saw him, nor a car that he drove. I've always believed that he was an angel, maybe my guardian angel. I've never seen him again, but I've always been thankful that he rescued me from that terrible situation and got me to where someone could help me. It's still so strange to me that even after all of these years, the details of this event can be so vivid in my mind, yet fuzzy all at the same time. I liken it to an image I can see in my mind's eye, and each time I recall the image, the edges get fuzzier. This story definitely had a happy ending. I know not a lot of your stories do, but I hope this one makes it to the podcast. Until next time, dolls, creep it real and don't get scared. 100%. I feel like he was a guardian angel, too.
1: I wonder when stuff like that happens, if anybody saw that happen, would you, like, actually be walking and it just feels like to you, like, somebody's carrying you, somebody's helping you? Oh, true. Or if, like, you're actually being carried. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, if somebody, it just feels like it because they're helping you there, you yeah. know? Or is it straight, like, angels in the outfield, you're being lifted up? Yeah. Know? Okay, the next one. That time I met George, the hospital spirit. Uh, also, when Donna, Tiffany, and I used to play cards and we would play spades and it was just three of us. Our fourth man was always George we'd deal in. Yeah. <laughs> Hello there to my favorite beautiful ladies. Me again with a long one to hopefully lift some spirits. Wahaha. <laughs> just kidding. That's literally what they say. This is a bit of a twofer here. A sinister sightings and the story of how I came to join my first paranormal research team. So we're zooming back 2004-2005 for this story. When I was in high school, my mom was a unit clerk on the graveyard shift at our local hospital, and I got to be part of a volunteer program for the workers' kids. So you could sign up for hours anytime, but it was encouraged to work hours within your parents slash guardian shift. As a night owl, of course, I hopped on the chance to work nights. During the week, things were pretty quiet after 10 or so, and since we lived close, I would work like 8 to midnight. Some nights, I'd hang around a little later, but it was really cool to meet so many people, staff, and patients. Now, typical duties were delivering gift shop items to patients. Cue Carrie saying, damn, they got a gift shop open that late? But sometimes, they'd leave goods at the attendant's desk when that entrance was closed off, so the Valentines—yeah, I know, what in the Bob's Burgers, Miss Fronda shit is that name— as we were called, could deliver the items after dinner or specific times according to the sender. Well, that was a tangent. Anyway, we mostly would get ice, water, blankets, pillows for the patients, gathering wheelchairs and carts, tidy the waiting rooms, open the curtains in the empty rooms if the nurses or techs forgot to, etc. Working nights, I was basically the only volunteer as most of the other parents were much stricter on their children's sleep schedules, but not mine. They tried and said, fuck it. She'll be her own problem in the morning, which was cool with me. Annie Hoodle. (laughs) That was something we would say. More so you. One night, I'm stationed upstairs, the long-term stay unit, and had just finished clearing the hallway of carts and wheelchairs, and I was going to the back corner rooms of the unit to make sure the room was clear of things. I entered room 225, and it was already clear. So I'm making my way out when I faintly hear a sweet little man say, hey, sweetheart. So as it wasn't unusual to stop and chat with patients, I give a gentle, well, hey there. As I walk closer to room 223, I say, did you need something? And make my way to the doorway by the time I finish. But before I could actually walk around to him, he asked me for some ice. So I just do a quick turn and no problem and headed down the hall, past the nurse's station and around to the lobby, to the closet that housed this stuff. I grab a big jug because he sounded so raspy. So I'm standing at the rabbit poop ice machine, waiting for it to fill up the jug when one of my mom's friends noticed me and stops to say hey. She asked who it was for, and I told her room 223. She didn't say anything, just walked out and nodded. I didn't really think much of it at the moment and went and delivered the ice. I get back to 223 and walk around the curtain, expect to see a wrinkly little man in the bed, and instead... I see nothing. Nothing but a perfectly made bed waiting for the next person. I did what any reasonable person would. I backed away slowly and confused, double-checked the room numbers, then proceeded to check the adjacent rooms, all clear and empty. Now, confused as shit, with the spook factor really creeping up on me, I take the jug of ice back to the nurse's station, and I met with a peanut gallery. Two or three nurses who had mixed looks of anticipation based on my own confused and a bit spooked face. I slammed the jug down on the bar like a worn out cowboy at the old saloon and let out a deep sigh. And a lady named Lori piped up and said, Oh, I see you got to meet George. He likes it when you talk to him. George, huh? Well, it turns out none of the other nurses like going in that room and they avoid putting anyone in it if they can help it. But Lori was different and was mostly unbothered by George. I stayed on that normal routine with the program from 2004 to 2006, usually working nights. Other than the usual creepy feeling of being a teenager alone in a hospital at night, nothing else really happened. After that night, I would always ask George how he was doing, usually got, oh, just fine, and sometimes light humming. Or if I was busy and didn't say at first, I was greeted by, hey, sweetheart, anytime I was in the corner rooms. I liked my interactions with George, but the biggest fright of the whole experience, like run to the nearest person and ask if there's anything on the back of my pants, scared, came a few months after meeting George. Usual night, come to the corner rooms, making my rounds, say, hey George, how you doing tonight? Fully expecting some humming, but oh, nay, nay. Like sipping a big old gulp of what you thought was Dr. Pepper, but it's actually Coke. Your brain short circuits and nothing tastes right. I get a response from the room. A startled and pissy sound, and who the hell is George? I froze in my tracks, not fully comprehending why George sounded like a lady. And I slowly creeped around the corner with a bug-eyed look on my face that for sure my mama would have warned me would freeze like that. I said, oh, I'm so sorry, he must have checked out, as I watched this lady gruff and roll over. Now, while I'm fear-farting my way around the hospital hallways, Lori, the nurse who loved George, was working on a big surprise. Turns out she was the head investigator of our only local paranormal group that her and her husband ran. They were still pretty small, but both had a ton of experience. I mean, I knew this at the time because we bonded over George, and I loved spending time talking to her about paranormal and soaking up as much as I could during my volunteer time. But the surprise is she also spent a large part of the time convincing my mom to let me join her paranormal investigation team when I was old enough. Lori gave my mom this big packet of paperwork and had it wrapped for my birthday. I had to be 18 in order to sign legally binding documents that could be notarized and medical waivers and other things I had no clue were part of paranormal research. It was amazing. I worked on so many cases until I moved out of state in 2013. Sorry this is so long, but not sorry because, well, Carrie won't run out of stories. As always, love you gals so much and creep up the good work, Dana.
0: Oh my gosh, i always know it's you by how you write. That right? is fantastic. Rabbit poop eyes.
1: <laughs> I had to read that three times because I couldn't get it out because I kept giggling.
0: That lady didn't
1: have to be so rude when you said, hey, George, go. Yeah, she came out the gate swinging that one lady. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I can't wait to hear about the hunts that you were on or investigations, whatever peeps call them.
1: <laughs> whatever the kids are calling them these <laughs> days, don't you know? <laughs>
0: All right, next one. Hey, y'all. Huge fan. Love you both. I thought I'd write in about a weird thing I saw years ago when living at my parents' house. Trigger warning, suicide, and drug abuse. I was in high school and had the superpower of being able to stay up really late. My 25-year-old ass could never. Donna
1: used to have that same superpower. Well, she still does. But shit, I do not. <laughs>
0: I had my bed up against my window because the Colorado weather is beautiful at night during the springtime, and the nighttime sounds were soothing. One night, I had my window open, and I was just looking out the window, breathing in the fresh air. It was late, probably 1 or 2 a.m. I was looking out in the distance, and I saw what looked like an orb or a ball of light floating slowly up into the sky above one of our neighbor's houses a couple of streets over. I was intrigued and confused because it couldn't have been a firework or anything. It made no sound. It was also too slow, and it just disappeared into the sky. As a woman of science, I racked my brain trying to figure out a logical explanation. After exhausting all of my theories, I chalked it up to sleep deprivation and went to bed. The next morning, I was leaving my house to go to school, and I drove past the house I saw the orb fly from, and y'all, y'all, I shit my fucking shorts when I saw a coroner van parked in their driveway and a couple of cops parked there as well. My heart sank into my stomach. I felt nauseous and I turned around and went back home. After all, if there's one thing that Dybbuk Douche has taught me, it's that spirits can manifest as orbs. We all know this. I remember it so vividly. It turns out the family that lived there had a son who passed away from a drug overdose that night. It feels weird knowing I could have been the only one who saw his soul leave this world, if that's what it was. My heart still to this day goes out to his family. I've never been particularly sensitive to energy, so I just have a hard time making much sense of all of this. Much love, Nikki D. That's exactly the fuck you saw. Yeah, yeah.
1: What the hell? And you were so young. Oh, my God. I'd have had a stroke.
0: Well, Carrie wouldn't have because she would not have remembered that from the night before. And so she would have been like, huh. Okay."
1: Well, let's just backtrack even more. I would have been
0: asleep. (laughs) True. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Well, have you seen anything else like that after that?
1: Okay, the next one. First Sinister Sightings Entry. Yeehaw! Hey there, guys. Before I start this story... It's going to be a long one, and you may need to grab your tissue because it's a doozy. My name is Hannah, and I'm from a very small town in North Carolina. Growing up was very difficult for me, as it is for many people. My older brother, who I call Dudden, and I were both homeschooled and grew up on our grandfather's farm. We have parents, but our dad has been sick all of our life with Lyme disease and mercury poisoning, so our mom and dad were constantly gone trying to help my father get better. My parents did the very best they could, but because of certain circumstances, it left me and my brother not always having the closest relationship with our parents. My brother was very close to our grandfather, who we call Papaw. But for me, I was the closest to my uncle who lived down the street from our papal. His name was Tony, but I always called him Tony Roney. <laughs> He always did everything he could to make me feel special. Anytime I was missing my dad or my mama, he would come pick me up on his tractor, let me drive, and when we got back to his farm, he would put me on a horse and we would ride until I felt better. One thing he always did every year was surprise me on my birthday with Tootsie Rolls, remember this. However, sadly, on September 30th, a month after we had celebrated my eighth birthday, Tony passed away unexpectedly from a heart attack. It was the worst day I had experienced, and when my mama started screaming, I knew. I went mute for two months and completely shut down. I didn't even go to the funeral, which I regret to this day. But at the time, I wasn't ready to let the man who was my best friend and second father go. This is where things get spooky dooky. On the day of his funeral, the entire family went to his funeral, but I stayed at my mama and papa's house. Tony lived walking distance from them, so I just sat in the back bedroom, which is also the room he grew up in, looking at his farm where we spent every day making memories. That's how I wanted to remember him. Well, I got the sudden urge to take a big fat duty, so I hurried to the bathroom. This bathroom is right across the hallway from the bedroom I had been in that faces his farm. Well, once I got done, I heard everyone come back from the funeral, and I walked out of the bathroom. But when I did, I saw someone sitting on the bed, right where I had been, looking out the window at Tony's farm. At first, I thought it was my papaw, but I looked closer, and I noticed something. It was my Uncle Tony. The main thing that made me realize it is the way he kept one of his pants legs tucked into his boot, and one left out, so that way it wouldn't get caught on his tractor. Second thing that made me lose it, the room overwhelmingly smelled like Tootsie Rolls. I said, Tony? And he got off the bed, walked to the window, and just stared. He never once looked at me. I was so overwhelmed that I ran out of the house and grabbed my papa's legs, sobbing. Not because I saw him, because I knew I couldn't hug him. Years go by, and I had summed it up to a hallucination caused by the trauma of losing him. But three years ago, when I was 21, I told this to my grandmother. She now sleeps in the same bedroom I had seen him in. When I told her, I said, but I think that was just my way of coping. She got this look like her entire face was just wiped and said, honey, I see him too. He walks the hallways all the time and I see him in the room at night. He's my guardian angel. My heart fell to my butt. I felt like I was going to throw up and cry at the same time. All these years I spent trying to rationalize this when it was my uncle's way of telling me goodbye and that he misses me too. I'm now 24 and visit his grave often, along with his favorite Tootsie Rolls. Sorry for the sappy story. I have tons more of experiences to share, and I promise you will not run out of stories. Creep it real. Love y'all.
0: Oh my gosh, that's heartbreaking, but also heartwarming. But that you said you cried because you knew you couldn't hug him. Oh.
1: Well, y'all know I can relate anything back to TV. <laughs> and that reminds me, especially Golden Girls. And that reminds me of an episode. It's probably, and in fact, I saw a, um a thing that was like, The saddest episodes ever on TV. And this was one of them where Blanche keeps having this recurring dream of her husband. And like it always ends and she wakes up like heartbroken, you know. She says, It's because I never get to hug him in the dream. But like the very last dream, she gets to hug him. I mean, spoiler alert, but you know, (laughs) that that show is from the 80s. So
0: yeah, (laughs) I love that you included that you had to drop a duty or whatever. Oh my God, yes. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, we can't wait to hear your other stories too. Duties included. (laughs) Okay, last one. Ladies, love, love, love what you do. And I am so happy to be a listener since the beginning. Not to brag to the newbie listeners, but I'm just going to jump right in. This story is heartbreaking and unfortunately it does involve the death of a child. My fiance and I were living in Arizona decided to move back to his hometown state of Ohio in September 2021. I am super close with his sister. We will call her V. We were eating Chinese food for dinner when V mentioned this horrifying tale that I've never heard of. Back in 2017, V would always order Chinese food from this restaurant called Aang's Asian Cuisine. It was her favorite Chinese food restaurant, but the best part was the little girl Ashley who greeted customers at the checkout. Ashley was six years old and her parents owned the restaurant. One day, V saw online that Ashley had gone missing and immediately joined the search and rescue team and drove up and down every street in the town for hours. Unfortunately, Ashley didn't turn up that night. The next day, the news broke and it was absolutely horrific. The day earlier to Ashley's disappearance, Ashley's mom was in the kitchen preparing food for the restaurant while Ashley was playing. Supposedly, Ashley wasn't listening to her mom, and her mom consistently punched Ashley until she was knocked out on the ground. Ashley's mom continued working, and when Ashley's dad walked into the kitchen, he saw she had vomit and a green liquid coming out of her mouth. Ashley's dad tried to perform CPR, but it was too late. Ashley was dead. The parents panicked and decided to hide her body in a container and put the container in the ceiling The parents called the police and reported Ashley missing. I believe it was the very next day after the search that police searched the restaurant and to their surprise found a container filled with salt and Ashley's bruised and lifeless body. The parents were immediately brought into questioning and the mom confessed. The mother is serving 22 years in prison and being deported back to China and the father is serving 12 years. I hope that Ashley is in a safe place in heaven and still smiling as she did at the restaurant. V is still heartbroken that she knew a very sweet little girl who deserved a lot better in life. Creep it real, Alex. Oh my God. That is so sad.
1: That's like literally heartbreaking.
0: I don't understand how people can hit other people, much less a child.
1: Like not even just one hit like repeatedly hitting and so that tells me that that was not the first time that child had been abused right that was definitely something that that child endured over and over and over again as a form of just regular old punishment
0: yeah and she had such a beautiful heart that she was always smiling always happy when she greeted people that oh my gosh breaks my heart
1: wow thank y'all so much for all these stories as sad as they were they're so great and we love getting them so thank you all so very much for that keep them coming send them in at a paranormal chicks at gmail.com and remember creep it real and don't get scared